Welcome back to Prairie Design Lab, a podcast coming to you from the Faculty of Architecture at the University of Manitoba in Winnipeg. Prairie Design Lab is a podcast that builds on all that has been accomplished by the first architecture faculty in Western Canada. It was founded a century ago and since then has shaped architecture across the country and around the world. I'm Terry McLeod, the host, producer, and writer of Prairie Design Lab. Today's episode, which we call Clifford, was inspired by a conversation I had a few weeks ago with the architect and furniture designer Tom Fougere. Tom's the person who put Winnipeg's EQ3 on the worldwide map of modern furniture. He was featured in episode 7, which we named Precocious. He's originally from Regina. At the end of our conversation on a less than perfect Zoom link, Tom told me about something he found on Twitter that he thought we should explore. I have maybe uh, a lead for you. On Twitter, there's some guy and he just does like Midwest architecture posts. And he will post like four images of a building. In May or June, he was just doing posts of buildings in Canada. And he posted a chapel in Silton, Saskatchewan by Clifford Weems. I saw it. I messaged them. I said, give me all the information you have about it. I need to visit this place. And I, okay. I did actually visiting um, this okay. summer. I'm expecting it to be, I was reading up on articles that it was yeah. about art, but it's very much there. And it is, it is a masterpiece hidden in Saskatchewan on just like the side of a valley. It is beautiful. Yeah. So this is Clifford Weens in Silton, Saskatchewan. Yeah. Yeah. It's called Our Lady of the Lake Chapel. Open air chapel. Ooh, interesting. And, and very modern and beautiful and uh, like I want to assist in getting heritage status for the building, and I would be happy nice. to help. Sorry about the wobbly Zoom audio. So that's furniture designer and architect Tom Fougere from Episode 7. He was telling us how smitten he was by Our Lady of the Lake Chapel in Silton, Saskatchewan, which is about 50 kilometers north of Regina in the Capel Lakes region. It was designed by Saskatchewan architect Clifford Weens and was built in 1969. So I followed up on Tom's lead with the guy he mentioned who brought the chapel to his attention. He is Josh Lipnick, and his Twitter handle is Midwest Modern. Josh is an architect in Detroit, and on Twitter he highlights modern buildings in the American Midwest and sometimes in Canada. Since he was the inspiration for Tom Fougere, I tracked down Josh in Detroit and asked him how he discovered Clifford Weens. There was an issue of Progressive Architecture magazine from maybe 1971, 1970. And they featured Clifford Weens in there. I believe they featured the chapel. He did a big heating and cooling plant at the University of Regina that they showed in there. They featured those projects. And uh, I just thought they were really interesting projects. You know, you don't really associate Saskatchewan necessarily with that type of really out there cutting edge architecture. So yeah, really piqued my curiosity. So these two young architects really piqued my curiosity about Clifford Weens. Weens died unfortunately in January of 2020 at the age of 93, but I wanted to see if I could find any record of him speaking about his chapel. I found a documentary about Weens from 2007 called Edifice and Us, 
from Saskatchewan filmmaker Steve Wolfson. He gave me permission to use an excerpt of his film in this podcast. Here is Clifford Weens talking about the origins of that chapel in Silton. And we walked into the center of this undergrowth and trees, etc. It was a 70 mile an hour wind blowing that day. And you could have read a newspaper down there without it ruffling even an inch. And I said, Father, why don't we build a church that has no walls? And he liked the idea, and I convinced them to buy five lots so that uh, you know the building would be protected. I designed that entire building in my head with no drawings, and it came together very fast. It was a three-dimensional space frame, and the steel rod at the center goes to a hub, and the beams go out. It's like a big truss, if you think of a bridge, you know? But it's a three-dimensional bridge. And then I have steel rods from each corner that pull the corners up to the apex and there's a big steel pyramidal cap on that you don't see. These steel rods go up and there are screws on and you can fine tune the structure and get it perfectly level and so on. We made a chain system to let the water follow the chain as water will do that and then it goes into a font. But it functions just as a drainage system and then they they bless that font for baptism. Clifford Weens in 2007 in a film about him entitled Edifice and Us from Saskatchewan filmmaker Steve Wolfson. I needed to know a lot more about Weens and his designs. To do that, I tracked down Trevor Bodie, the leading expert in the world on Clifford Weens. Bodie is originally from Saskatchewan too, but he lives now in Vancouver. He's a curator of worldwide stature an historian of architecture, a teacher, a consulting urban designer, an architect, and a writer. Trevor first met Clifford Weens when Trevor was in architecture school at the University of Calgary in the late 70s. In my second or third term, Clifford Weens of Regina was the visiting prof. Clifford is quite an amazing character, quite an amazing personality, tough as, uh, as hell on students and on his staff, very demanding but in the end uh, with a heart of gold. So uh, we as students uh, were given the assignment of designing an art gallery for Swift Current. What we didn't know is that Clifford Weens had both designed and built that building, which is kind of unfortunate in a way because it's like he knew the answers or what he would have done. And uh, we students who are trying strange organic geodesic or, or curving solutions got nowhere because Clifford had the, uh, the design in mind. We, it was one well, of the toughest design studios I ever had, but he loved to talk and argue. And then to fast forward to late to 1977, my prof at the University of Calgary had been asked to write a story on prairie architecture for the late lamented Canadian Forum magazine. This is the kind of Harper's of Canada. And, and my, my prof, like many profs, was not a great writer and not that good at it. And I'd done a student paper that he admired. He says, well, why don't I suggest your name to write this story instead of mine? So I said, sure. But in that article, which was published in early ni- uh, April 1978, Canadian Forum, uh, it is my, my, my two mentors, Douglas Cardinal and uh, Clifford Weens, and in Winnipeg, your own Etienne Gaburi. Uh, I stopped then in Regina on the way back. Clifford could not have been more gracious. And we toured his, his projects, a few of them. Clifford Weens is uh, 
an unreconstituted and original modernist. When I was studying in architecture school in the late 70s, early 80s, that world was falling apart. Postmodernism with its easy references to the classical past and kind of pastiching of history, that was on the rise. Parallel to it, a little bit later, is something that I tend to call neo-modernism, which is the, the same thinking, postmodern thinking, but doing a pastiche of modern buildings. Clifford is very different. He's not a neo-modernist. He's a fundamental problem solver. And I have to look back to his um, upbringing on a farm. He's from a Mennonite family. I grew up near Swift Current. And Clifford uh, had all of the building and uh, metalworking and other skills that you need to run a farm. So he's a hands-on guy, built buildings, fixed fences, uh, pulled apart farm equipment and rebuilt it. All of those skills he had. And the farm was quite successful. It looked like he would go on uh, and become a professional farmer. And in fact, he went to University of Saskatchewan for a year in agriculture, but really didn't like it, didn't like the people, and uh, realized that he didn't want to spend the rest of his life on the farm with the wind blowing from Alberta. And, uh, it blows pretty hard, Swift Current. That's when he's this latent interest of his in architecture and industrial design emerges. He'd always done sketches. He was always interested in the craft of building. He was really more interested though, I'd say in industrial design than architecture. He looked around and amazingly, he found one of the very few institutions in North America where you could study both industrial design and architecture. And that's the Rhode Island School of Design. Now you imagine a prairie boy with a year of ag school applying to a prestigious East Coast American university, but his portfolio was so impressive. I think both from, he invented things, invented furniture, invented equipment. That was part of his portfolio, but he has a pretty dab hand in drawing um, and so on. And for whatever reason, not only did they like what they saw, they gave him more or less a full scholarship. And he just loved it. He did extremely well. Uh, he was ornery, different, and uh, unique, even there. Uh, but uh, he worked away. He'd come back in the summers, sometimes to work the farm, sometimes to starting to work for um, architects such as uh, Pettick in, in Regina. He worked briefly on the really wonderful uh, building done under Tommy Douglas, uh, the Wascana building, the curving office tower in central Regina. Uh, he didn't have much to do with the design, but he detailed and worked on some aspects of it. I think that was a very good experience because he worked, got to work on a really superior building with the best architectural minds in Saskatchewan. Basically, he's um, now got a, a East Coast prestigious degree. He's worked for an architect. Um, he, he could have gone to Toronto or New York or Chicago, but decides he wants to come back to Saskatchewan. And in part because he realized he'd have more zones of freedom there. I think freedom and independence are very big, strong values in the work of Clifford Wings. Um, he would have more opportunities to design uh, as a young architect in China than he could ever hope to in a big metropolis. And uh, basically after a short minimal period to qualify for his license as an architect, 
uh, he started doing very modest buildings, um, often hand-built or community-built. Uh, and at the same time, his social world tended towards the visual artists, intellectuals, writers. He got the bug in Rhode Island and realized he had to have some like-minded people who inspired him. For example, Roy Kiyuka, who was a painter and a writer, uh, a Japanese-Canadian who was in Regina, then became a fast family friend, would come by a few days a week to debate and argue. Uh, the painters that uh, later became known as the Regina Five uh, became his, his great friends. And in fact, they were invited to do a show at the National Gallery in Ottawa. Um, and it was to include uh, Clifford Weens's architecture at their insistence and his. So it was gonna be a national debut of the five Regina abstract modernist painters and Clifford as architect. All set, all ready to go, the curator liked it, et cetera. Then it got kiboshed by the, by the management of the National Gallery who could not imagine architecture being shown in their gallery. So what was going to be the Regina Six becomes the Regina Five. So that's how well-regarded and close to the heart of leading edge art, uh, art and architecture Clifford was, even in the early 60s in, uh, in Regina. His work was first drawn to my attention by a young architect and designer, uh, Tom Fougere from Regina originally, uh, lives in Winnipeg, was the head of design for EQ3, the furniture company, and did exceptionally well for them. But he brought to my attention in a conversation that I had with him a few weeks ago, he said, do you know about this architect, Clifford Weens? And I had to apologize and say, no, I don't. He said, well, I visited this unbelievable chapel in Silton, Saskatchewan, that just blew me away. I liked it so much. I did a bunch of research about it, and I want to be part of the restoration of Our Lady of the Lake Chapel. What did that chapel mean to Clifford? We all regard it as one of his great projects. Most people would not have known about it, but for one book written by a woman, Carol Moore, Ede, E-D-E, called Canadian Architecture 1960-1970. Very unusually, she's not an architect, not a cultural historian, just a buff interest in architecture. She drove her car across the country and stopped and interviewed architects and discovered Weens that way and was taken out to see the chapel and shot these exquisite black and white photos. She took her own photos for the book. That is really the publication that gave Clifford his first national exposure in a big way. And it eventually won a um, Massey Medal, which is the precursor to the Governor General's Medals in Architecture. And it was the smallest and lowest budget project ever to win a medal, I think still has that record. The Coupel Valley is a favored summertime cabin location for Regina citizens. The Roman Catholic uh, community up there wanted a chapel so they could have masses in the summer, but there was no point building a big permanent church. And they, they talked to Clifford and asked him what he could do. The elders of the church asked Clifford what he could do in almost invisible non-budget on a tiny piece of land nestled into a coulee at the edge of the Capel Valley. 
And uh, what Clifford came up with was uh, primal, but its architecture is most powerful. He decided there would be no need for walls, only a roof, because it's summertime use only. And with a beautiful lake and, and the sunshine and uh, the poplar groves, uh, it was a perfectly inspiring and spiritual setting. Uh, you just needed a, a roof to keep the rain off. Amazingly, there's an altar, which is a monolithic piece of rock, uh, a glacial eccentric boulder. There is a, a baptistry or a font for baptisms. Uh, you go through all the, the basics of the Roman Catholic liturgy, and he found a way to, to reduce it to the most primal things possible. For example, uh, most Roman Catholic churches have a cross somewhere visible um, above the altar or in a prominent spot. Uh, at first, people thought he had, that he had violated that requirement, that there was no cross in his church. And he told them, look up. And the structure of this old chapel are two long, huge beams connected at the middle. You look up, you see your cross in the very structure of the church itself. So, and of course, he loved a joke like that. Uh, it wasn't even a joke, it was dead serious in a way, because he provided it in a way that was so minimal uh, that many people missed it. So here you have a pyramidal roof, the cedar shakes on top, two glue lamb beams joined at the center and a very clever bit of stitching together. They bear upon posts, um, et cetera. And I think it's architecture um, at its minimum. It uh, was built and used for several decades. Uh, last and last decade or two, I haven't been out there for about 10 or 15 years. I understand there's been a fair bit of vandalism. There's a small fire set that charred some of it, if not destroyed it. Uh, many of us want it to be a National Historic Site and a Saskatchewan designated site. I really hope that happens, and I'm not up on it. Well, Tom Fougere visited it last summer, and he was smitten by the whole thing. And he wants to begin a project to restore it and get that designation. So you have an ally there. Well, he should stay in touch and pass on my linkages to him. I will do that. Because often it's the sort of thing that gets lost. On the prairies, we have a, a, a huge amount of buildings before 1920, uh, nice mayor's houses and old churches that are preserved and designated. But the prairies have done a dismal job in designating and preserving modernism, things after 20, 1920. If there's one building in Saskatchewan that deserves it, it's the Silton Chapel. So I'm delighted to hear that. Which other of his buildings are significant? I've heard great things, but haven't seen it, about the power plant at the University of Regina. Yes, that's a, a much-loved uh, building for architects. Uh, I suppose some of the public think, what do you guys see in that? But again, it's absolutely functional. This is the kind of problem-solving farm boy working at big, high-tech scale. Uh, basically, it's heating and cooling. It's enormous machines that do both of those. Heavy machines that run 24 hours a day, lots of noise. And what you need is an, an enclosure for them to protect them from the weather, uh, to repair them, etc. cetera. Uh, and you also need flexibility because that technology changes every 10, 20, 30 years. And he, they knew there'd be a need to take equipment in and out 
of the heating and cooling plant. In other words, you have a great big boiler in there and a new technology emerges and you want to get rid of it, get a more efficient one. How do you get things in and out? Well, that's easier said than done in most buildings. You have to cut it through a door or you, you don't know what to do. You build a new building often because those are very big pieces of machinery. Clifford came up with this brilliant idea of making the two ends, the gable ends of the building, glass. And he devised a, a set of mullions where you could actually remove the glass. You can open up the whole side of the building and take any piece of equipment out and move another one in. Uh, uh, extraordinary bit of problem solving. Um, the other thing is there's chillers, uh, you know, uh, air conditioned chillers. Where do you put them? Well, they have some problems. They drip, they're wet, et cetera. And they didn't want them right in the building, but they wanted nearby. So he puts them on the roof, a row of them is a kind of cap for the building um, with the uh, boilers, et cetera, below them and the uh, offices and uh, workbenches for the workers. So it ends up becoming a kind of uh, pavilion, a very carefully considered pavilion of concrete, uh, steel and glass. Uh, it has all the elegance of ancient Greek architecture, which he studied and liked um, for its pared down quality and its four square symmetry. But it shows you how you can take the most banal of a building program, literally a heating and cooling plant. It's still quite spectacular. You go by the Trans Canada, and it's this this uh, low building. There's no high rises, et cetera, on the campus, but it was this absolutely uh, powerful and uh, unforgiving. And uh, it is what it is. And I think its virtues of independence, solidity, perseverance, functionality are prairie virtues. So I think uh, Clifford had this spot on. He understood the nature of our climate and the nature of our social construction. And his best work is like that power plant. It's a kind of resolutely set against the elements, but in its own way, kind of inviting and gracious. And the same way that the, the Silton Chapel is inviting and gracious, even though it's a kind of tough building. It's a roof with a boulder for an altar. These are different values that you get played out in the older and more inbred societies of uh, Ontario or New England or Europe. Uh, this, this freshness approach, I think it, it was his, uh, a product of his upbringing, a pro product of his personality. You curated a show about his work and about him that traveled quite widely, right? It took a, a while to get it going, but the Mendel Museum, which is now uh, transformed into the Rimai in Saskatoon, uh, commissioned uh, a show from me as curator. Uh, it was evident to everyone there, it was not a long pitch. Everyone in the art world in Saskatchewan knew that Clifford was in a whole different uh, level and was the most significant architect in Saskatchewan history. He'd won more Governor General medals, et cetera, uh, more uh, uh, higher regarded than anyone else. So a show is inevitable. Architecture shows are expensive, they're big, they're bulky, and galleries usually run away. An architecture show, you have to make the elements. You have to take the photos, blow them up. You have to find the drawings, frame them, get them up. And very importantly for Clifford's work, we needed models of his key projects. By this point, Clifford was uh, uh, semi-retired and living here in Vancouver. So, uh, and his son, Nathan Weens, has a state-of-the-art wood shop and produces furniture for the likes of Elvis Costello and, and so on. So Clifford used his son's wood shop 
and produced his own exquisite scale models of his key works. So these are astonishing. They would have cost us half a million dollars if we had gone to a commercial model maker. And it was very good therapy for him because he was in his 70s. And it was a way to review all of his work and to, to really understand it, you know, and Clifford being Clifford, he couldn't lie. He couldn't correct things. He couldn't change them retroactively. All of them show uh, a piece of the landscape on which they sit and are uh, amazing for that. So these models were one of the great hits of the show. People who are not that interested in architectural drawings gravitated to these colorful scale models, perfect little worlds. And there's little doggies and children and uh, uh, things on this. There's a, a fox on the hill in one of them. He got obsessed with the kind of detail. Um, and I think they are an amazing expression of him. They're his populist side, the side of him that writes his memoirs and writes kind of doggerel poetry. Um, so it's po they're populist, but they're also profound because the ideas they represent uh, are superb. And, and I like them because they're not your typical architect's models that tend to be a little surgical and a little cold. They're, they're warm and gracious uh, as he was at heart. And this uh, the structure of those models took the better part of a year. And I don't know if I've ever seen Clifford more happy than when I came down to the woodshops to see the latest uh, development on. The name of the show was Telling Details. I meant that in two, two senses. It's a pun or, or has a double-loaded meaning. I want to tell the details about his work, the architectural details, because you really come to appreciate Clifford's work if you examine it close up and understand what these connections or window frames are doing, they become more and more uh, rich with ideas when you look at them at the micro level. So I wanted to tell people, and that's why where I came as an architectural writer and critic, is I would explain to people, to the public in plain language, what pieces of his buildings were doing. The connection and the roof, Gulam beams at the Silton Chapel the air-conditioned units on the roof of the power plant. So these were ways to open up architecture, get it away from the closed camp of experts and aesthetes, and, uh, uh, and allow people to understand that. The other sense of the title, Telling Details, is you know the telling details are someone, or, or the, the actions or habits or ticks that reveal them. And I'm very interested in Clifford as, as a subject, as, as a person, a persona. It's hard to imagine the, those buildings without his persona, his toughness, his, his sense of humor, his independence, his orneriness. All of those are fundamental to his work. Uh, he wore people down, wore out staff, uh, pushed his clients to the limit. Uh, but uh, I thought this double notion of telling the details of the building and telling details of revelation of the uh, intelligence that shaped them uh, made for a richer show. The show opened in the Mendel Gallery in 2005, I believe, um, and then showed um, at the Plug-In Gallery in Winnipeg, went on to Ontario, to Cambridge, um, and came back and finished the tour here in Vancouver. So I toured for about two years. When you think back at Clifford Weens and his career and his accomplishments, in a Citizen Kane kind of way, you want to reduce a man to a, a phrase or an idea. In Citizen Kane, that famous final shot is the sled 
You can name Rosebud on it that's pulled out of the fire or into the fire. I think the most uh, lingering summation of Clifford Weens, I heard from one of his ex-employees, who's now a Saskatchewan architect, and this quote ran in the Globe and Mail obituary for Clifford, and I'm, I'm really glad it did. The way his ex-employee summed up Clifford and his work was that Clifford was a perfectionist in an imperfect world. And if you look at his career, his meticulous design, uh, his difficulty at times as a client, his pushing technologies, pushing new materials, et cetera, uh, he was a, a perfectionist of the highest order. Uh, probably to a fault, but we need some of them to act as leaders. And to give you one last example of his later years, uh, he was a retired architect. He didn't um, continue a membership in the Architectural Institute here, so it cost him thousands and thousands of dollars a year. So they actually sat on him and in his 70s told them that Clifford Weins could not call himself an architect. But he couldn't believe it. So he got so furious he had new letterhead and new business cards made up. And they list Clifford Wayne's improver, not architect, improver. And I think if there's a prairie sensibility in one word and in one idea, that's it. And you think about it, I think if more architects were improvers, we would have a better world. So my hat is tipped to Clifford Wayne's improver. If you like Prairie Design Lab, please tell your friends about us. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, on Spotify, and on Wednesday mornings on UMFM Radio 101.5 FM. You can find us on Twitter at Prairie D Lab and on our website, Prairie Design Lab, as we share stories of brilliant prairie architecture and design. For Prairie Design Lab, I'm your host, producer, and writer, Terry McLeod.